Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I'm excited about this morning because as I said, as you heard in the video, we are starting a new series, Why Multi-Ethnic? And so in this series, we're going to look at the the why behind who we are, being a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Why are we who we are? And answer questions like, is it biblical? Uh, did we just come up with this, or is this, was it God's idea? We're going to do these by looking. We're going to look at these questions by looking at passages of Scripture uh, over the next four weeks to answer these questions. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Matthew chapter 22. That's where we'll be, verses 34 uh, through 40 this morning. Uh, we're going to read this passage, one that might be familiar to some of you all, but it's going to serve as sort of a thesis or main biblical verses for our, our series as we walk through this. And the reason being is because as we talk about being a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational, gospel-centered, disciple-making church, y'all try to say that if you want to. Um, we don't want to just talk about it, but I want us all to remember that this is biblical. It's biblical. It's, it's not just something cool that we came up with. I know you walk in here you're like, oh, this is cool. And I like to say people think, oh, Motethic is very sexy. It's cool. They're breaking down barriers. And all of that's cool until the rubber meets the road. And you're like, yo, what'd you just say about me? Uh, what, what? You think what? You like collard greens? What is that? I like green bean casserole. What is that? So you start, you know, all those different cultural differences or even politics as we're getting into this year. And it's, and you, you have to weigh through that and say, okay, what's important? How do we love one another? And I know as I say this, it's very hard for us. And the reason we're looking at it, though, is because we look at this passage, this is Jesus' command. But not only that, it's one of our core values, to love one another, to love one another. And again, I know this topic, topic is tough. I got a few chuckles this morning when I just mentioned it. It's a hard one, and it's challenging. Listen, loving people that are different than you is not easy, especially in America. All the history we have, everything that's gone on in America, it is not easy. And so to know that this is God's idea is key to the Christian walk. It's key to us following in the way that he's called us to do. Because to love someone forces you out of your comfort zone. To truly love someone. It's not easy, but hear me, it's biblical and it is fruitful. Amen. Let's look at Matthew 22 where Jesus teaches us to love him and our neighbor. If you, got, if you have it, go ahead and stand to your feet if you're able. We're going to read verses 34 through 40. You got to go ahead and say, got it. Here now the reading of God's word, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. The very word of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, loving others is hard, but biblical. Loving others is hard, but biblical. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for the celebration of baptism. We thank you for your goodness. God, I do pray, as I do each week, that you would hide me behind your cross so that you may be lifted up in this place. Father, decrease me so that you may increase. We need a word from you on this morning. So, God, I do ask that you, Holy Spirit, would be in this room. Open our hearts for what you have for us and allow our ears to hear what you want us to see and do. Get glory in this place. Lord, we love you, and it's in the mighty and matchless name that we all said together, amen. 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 You can be seated. You can be seated. Some of you know part of my story, but in college, I, I ran a ministry uh, for black college students called the Impact Movement. We started it on campus, Kayla and I, and I intentionally started this to reach out to the African-Americans on campus, but I also wanted to integrate uh, this ministry with the predominantly white ministry on campus crew because I, I, it was crew, it's crew, campus crusade back then, crew nowadays, and um, I just, as I was reading the Bible, I'm looking at it and seeing, well, I don't see black over here and white over here. Why can't we do stuff together? And, and, and so I, I, I had an issue with that, and I wanted to figure out a way to integrate the ministry I was running with the ministry on campus, and it's probably one of the hardest things I did in ministry at that point in my life. But when I read the Word of God, one thing that I noticed about Jesus' ministry is that Jesus didn't just talk about doing things. He didn't, he didn't just do things and say, you got to do this, you got to make this happen. No, no. Jesus intentionally lived his life out in front of people. He intentionally shared his life with people that most would not normally do so. And so I realized when I'm looking at the race barrier that existed, sadly, within the church, I knew that if I want to see black and white specifically at this time come together, it's going to take a certain level of intentionality. And so I intentionally started going to the crusade Bible studies on campus. My small group consisted of myself and four white dudes in the living room. And so we went through the Bible. We kept each other accountable. And during my junior year, y'all, I took it to a whole new level. And I moved out of my two-bedroom townhouse where I was living by myself and moved into a townhome with these four white guys. Uh, Y'all missed that. (laughs) Two-bedroom townhouse to a house with four white guys. And let me break down the house a little bit for you. When you walked in, there's the kitchen, there's a living room in the front, and then you go up the stairs. We had a quiet room where you could read your Bible, and then we had an office where everybody's desk was so you could see each other's screens. We hanging out in there doing our homework. And then you go up to the top, and it's basically one huge room. And all of us slept in the same room together I went from a king-size bed to a twin-size bed. Um, I wanted accountability. But really, y'all, it, I, I, just, I was serious about this multi-ethnic thing. <laughs> I mean, you had my, me from Gary, Indiana. Y'all ever been to Gary before? All right. You heard of it. 
Ain't none of y'all ever lived there, huh? Black dude from Gary, Indiana, predominantly black, living with four white guys from the country, racist towns all over Bloomington, Indiana, and we're living in a house together. We kept each other accountable. We did Bible studies together. I, and, and it wasn't always hunky-dory. I mean, we had some hard times. I even had to correct one of my friend's roommates, uh, or my roommate's friends that came down to college. He was not my friend. He came to the, to the school, and I'm sitting on the couch. I was just reading, and he sat down next to me. And you know how somebody just get too comfortable sometimes? And he's sitting there. I'm like, what you, what you, what's up, man? What you got to say? And he's like, man, he just starts talking. And then all of a sudden, he gets on this story, and he's like, man, there was this one dude named Jamal, and and. He was having trouble combing his hair, and he couldn't get the comb through his hair. And I was like, oh, what? Is he black or is he white? And he was like, what you think? His name was Jamal. And I said, yeah, what? <laughs> I said, say it again. And he starts, I said, I didn't mean say it again. I just wanted to make sure that you said what I thought you said. And, and, and I'm going to be honest, everything in me had to refrain from letting every ounce of Gary out of me. I mean, I wanted to knock all his fronts out. You know, he veneers, straight veneers, you know, Shannon Sharpish. You know what I'm saying? I just, I just wanted to, everything in me. And, but I didn't. I calmed down. I left the house, called Kaylee, called a bunch of people, did my woosah breathing treatments. <laughs> Went back into the house and uh, had a good conversation with him. He apologized and, and we were good. And so I say all that to say that we, we had some awkward moments, awkward conversations. But this intentionality didn't stop with me. I, I, I would even join our campus ministry with their ministry on campus. And so you had black and white students coming together. And, and I remember, you know, Henry was a part of this, Chris was a part of that. We come in there and be like, man, why we, why we always got to sing Chris Tomlin? Why, why can't we just do something else? And then after a while... You know, folks would say, well, why don't we do more with them? Why don't we just start fellowshipping more? And, and we started doing events together. And then, you know, don't you know, some 20 years later, that ministry is still around. It's one of the largest of its kind in America. Like, God did something great there. We saw lines crossing, divisions broken down. And I don't tell you this to, to toot my own horn. That, that's not it. But, but here's the point. Friends, hear me. Some divisions should not exist. Some divisions should not exist, but hear me, they will stay there unless we are intentional about doing life with one another and loving one another. It's not, the, the line, they, they don't go anywhere unless we intentionally love one another. As we enter this series, I, I want to challenge you a bit. This isn't going to be easy. I want to challenge you to acknowledge some of those divisions in your life that you've put up that keep you from truly doing life with people that are different than you. Whether that those, those divisions are put up intentionally or unintentionally. Maybe you were raised this way. Maybe, maybe it's just the friends you keep. And this is, I, I, I'm just being comfortable, Pastor D. What, what, I want you to acknowledge those lines. I want you to acknowledge the divisions that are there. In your comfort zone or outside of it? And I desire for us to be a people that adhere to the word of God and love him as well as our neighbor. That's my desire for our church. 
And listen, there's no way that we can seek to be or be a church that God has called us to be if we can't get out of our own comfort bubble. This is exactly what Jesus commands here in the text. And so let's get into the text. In the text, there's a string of testing going on. i got to give you a little picture of what's happening as you get into the text. There. There's a string of testing going on from the Sadducees here, some of the religious leaders of the day towards Jesus. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to catch Jesus in a lie or him tell, saying something that's not true. And so they keep asking him questions about various topics. They ask him about taxes, and then they ask him about the resurrection. And both times after Jesus responds, the text says that the crowd is astonished. Wow, did you hear his answer? And you got to love Jesus in the face of testing and hard situations. He never falters and he never stumbles. Instead, he stands strong and he speaks the truth and the people can't argue with the truth. When you look at the text, I love this about Jesus. He doesn't just give them what they want to hear. He doesn't sugarcoat the truth. That's what we kind of do a lot of. It's all good. You know, this is what it really says. I don't know if that's what it really says. We sugarcoat the truth. Jesus doesn't do that. He states the truth. And the Sadducees, they know the truth, so they can't argue with it. Which leads to our passage today because the crowd here after this string of testing is doing the same thing and they're questioning Jesus on some of the same issues on the commandments now and I love this passage because it begins if you're looking at it with me it says that the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees so they gathered together so now get the picture it's not just the Sadducees but they ran to the Pharisees yo Jesus, Jesus silenced us. It's kind of like the little brother running to the big brother like, yo, I was trying to fight him, but he kept on knocking me down. He kept beating me up. I need you to help me, big brother. And big brother like, all right, bet. I'm coming. I'm getting my bat and everything. He gets his figurative bat. They get the lawyers. They bring the lawyers, the ones that specialize in understanding the law and say, look, well, let's go to Jesus and we're going to question him. And so they bring the lawyer with them, the Pharisees, the big, bad, big brothers, and the Sadducees, and the lawyers are there with them, and, and they're questioning Jesus. Now, give the picture. These lawyers, just to help you, they're much like lawyers of today. They're experts on the law. And so they knew all the answers, and they could argue with the best of them. And he asked Jesus, this lawyer, asked Jesus a question that none of the Pharisees or the Sadducees know the answer to. It's not that they don't have an answer for them. They just really don't know the answer because they're still arguing on what's the right answer. They're still debating on what are the truly weighty matters of the commandments and what's not so weighty, what's true, and what's, what, what, what's right, what, what's not true, and, and what's light, and, and what's heavy. And so, in all of that, even though not knowing the answer, which is crazy to me, they still ask Jesus. I don't know what Jesus, but what do you think it is? So they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment in the law, Jesus. Which one is it? What is it? And when they say law, they're not talking just about the Ten Commandments that we commonly think of. Y'all stick with me. I'm coming to your neighborhood. They're talking about the whole Old Testament law. Have you read the first five books of the Old Testament? It's a whole bunch of laws. Jesus, which one is the greatest? Out of all of that, Jesus, what's the greatest? 
And I love what Jesus says to them. Verse 37, look at it with me. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He takes all of the law, whittles it down to one statement. Love me and love your neighbor. He first states in this Deuteronomy 6.5 about loving the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength. And the leaders, hear me, they would have known this. So they wouldn't argue. They'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one, Jesus. We know that. And they know this one because they had to recite this twice a day, every day. Because when they recited this, it, it, it symbolized them being totally devoted to God. So they would recite this one every day, twice a day. So they understood this commandment. But I think the one that would have thrown them off is what he says next, which is to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself, which, hear me, it's nothing new. I mean, you look at the Ten Commandments, Avery, you look at the new Ten Commandments, the first four are about loving God. But you get to the last six, it's about how you love your neighbor. How do you love people around you? How are you devoted to them? So you got God, and then the last six are about how do you love other people? So loving others is not new, but when Jesus said this, What he's really saying to them is that you can't do one without the other. You can't love me and not love other people. They they, they go together. It's not possible. So you got to key in, though, on this neighbor part because this is where it gets a little troublesome. When Jesus is saying this, you got to ask, well, what, who, who is he talking about when he says neighbor? Jesus says it in the way that the Pharisees would have interpreted, well, when he says it, the way it's broken down, he's really talking about everybody, Gentiles included, or people of different races, and so someone different than us, but he says, you shall love your neighbor. That would have messed them up. They hate the Gentiles. In fact, they called them dogs. They thought that salvation was just for them. The Messiah is coming just for us. Nobody else. He's only for us. And so they didn't care for anybody else. It was always about them. And on top of that, these Pharisees, they're some self-righteous, self-absorbed people. So he's really rebuking them. He's saying, this ain't just about you. Salvation is not just about you and God. What Jesus is ultimately saying is that the gospel or what I'm going to do on this cross is for everybody. It's for everybody. But also, there's horizontal devotion that comes from me dying to one another. When you think about the the cross, I've talked about this before. It's the cross-shaped gospel. Look at the cross with me. There's two beams right there. There's a vertical beam right there where Jesus, when he hung on that cross, when you believe in Jesus, you're now, through his death, you're vertically reconciled to God. But then you got the horizontal beam where those nails were in each one of his hands. That horizontal beam represents horizontal reconciliation to one another. And so it's vertical as well as horizontal. 
Jesus models this when he's sitting on the cross. Y'all know the story. He's sitting on the cross, and, and there's a thief on one side. There's a thief on the other side. They have nothing in common with Jesus. Jesus is sitting on the cross, and he says, Father, as he's in his last breath, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But then this one over here is mocking you. This one over here is, is, is saying, forgive me. And he says to the thief, nothing in common with him. You'll be in paradise with me. Horizontal reconciliation. The gospel is both vertical and horizontal. Jesus models that for us on the cross. Listen to me. Listen to me. Your relationship with Jesus is not just about you and him. Let me say it again. Your relationship with Jesus is not just about you and him. But when you come to Jesus, as have you heard me say before, you come to him and now you go out and you share your life with those that you come in contact with, people that are like you, people that are different than you. You go out and share your life because now it's about making Jesus' name famous. You know where you're going. It's about making his name famous. It's about sharing the love, the joy, the peace and satisfaction that people get from a savior, something they can't find in the world. It's not about just you. It's about others. First John 4.20 says this. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The point is that God commands believers to not just love him but to love our neighbors. So the question for us becomes, well, who are our neighbors? Some of y'all have heard me talk about this, and it's tough. Who are our neighbors? Well, let's think about it. Our neighbors are the black, the white, Asian, Latino, every race of people. They are the poor, the rich, and the middle class. They are the Republican and the Democrat. That's hard. They are the prostitute, homosexual, transgender, bisexual, and the straight. They are the orphan, the widow, the sex slave, and the sex trafficker. They are the murderer and the victim. They are the guilty and the innocent. They are the good kids and the bad kids. They are the crooked politician, the police officer, the lawyer, the businessman or businesswoman. They are the veterinarian. They are the folks that are different than us and similar to us. They are you and me. Those are our neighbors. But I know when I said that, when I mentioned some of those, some of you started to squirm a bit. I don't know about that one, Pastor. Really? And the reason we squirm, the reason we don't like that is because some of the ones I mentioned off do are involved in something that you don't approve of. And listen... I'm not telling you to go out and accept everybody's ways. That's not, I'm not talking about that type of tolerance. But what I really want you to notice as I list it off that list, and it's not comprehensive. Listen, what we should hear is that all of us, you and me, have done something in here that God has not agreed with, whether we deem ourselves perfect or not. And guess what? He still loved us. He still died. What God requires of us, listen to me, is perfection. 
and holiness. And every one of us, including me, missed that mark. We're not perfect, which puts us all in the same category or box as the people we don't agree with. The people we don't want to do life with. But here's the good news. When Christ died, y'all, he levels the playing field. He levels the playing field. Your sin's not greater than mine. My sin's not better than yours. None of those. He levels the playing field because all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We don't meet that standard. We all needed a Savior. And Jesus hung on the cross for the whole world. Not just for the ones that we deem bad. He died for everybody. All of us. The whole world is in need of a Savior, whether we deem ourselves good or bad. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor, listen, he's really saying, he's saying to us, he's saying to the Pharisees, remember, 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 you have sinned too. You once were down in the dumps. You were in your mess. And I saw you too there, and I saved you. Remember how you've been loved. Remember, I saw the depths of your depravity in your heart, the stuff that people don't see, and I still loved you. Remember that. And now go out and love your neighbor as you have been loved. I don't think y'all, I think y'all missing this thing. It's only because of the grace of God that we're saved. None of us deserve it. None of us. He's loved us that much. Friends, listen. Jesus crossed the first dividing line when he came out of heaven and died for us. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And so for those of that, us that called Jesus Lord and Savior to engage with other people, whether different or similar, is not optional. It's not optional, but it's to be part of our lives. Which, friends, I know, because it's quiet in here, that's hard. But if we obey the first commandment to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and our strength, and we'll follow him. This means we'll do as he did and we'll love the world. And we'll do just like Jesus did, hoping and praying that by sharing our lives with other people, folks will come to know the same Jesus we know. But we have to first love our neighbors intentionally. Jesus takes the whole law and he whittles it down to two commandments, two statements, really one statement, but two commands in it. And says, what I command you to do is to love me and to love your neighbor. Again, this is difficult. It's difficult because of the world we live in. But if we remember our sin, if we remember our mess up, if we remember our issues, and the fact that we've been saved in the midst of all of that, then we won't be able to look down on other people because of their sin. Because although their sin is not my sin, it's still sin. 
And we all need Jesus. Listen, if we love Jesus, it will compel us to have compassion. Compassion. And we'll enter in relationships with others no matter who they are. And so I got to ask you, as we get into this series, as challenging as this is, what do your relationships look like? I know we tend to get comfortable. What do your relationships look like? Do you do life with people that are different than you? Or do you do life with people that are just like you? I mean, what, what, is your, what does your circle look like? Some of y'all missing this. Some of you know this. What, what, what does your dinner table look like at night? That's an intimate space. Who do you eat with? People just like you or are they different than you? Who do you let in your home? It's not always comfortable, is it? And the Christian life, hear me, as much as you hear the people on Instagram, all that stuff, it's not always comfortable. I mean, you look at this passage and Jesus' example. I mean, for example, Jesus, Jesus is hanging out with people and he's allowing himself to be questioned by folks he don't like. The Sa- I mean, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're trying to kill him. He's sitting in the midst. He's sharing his life with them, answering questions. He doesn't have to do that, but, he, but he's still doing it. Friends, hear me. Loving others that are different than you is not easy. It's not. But we do it because Jesus first loved us. He loved us when we were sinners. But see, the problem, if I could come into your neighborhood a little bit more, the problem is we only like doing life with people that make us better. We only like doing life with people when it's convenient, when it's comfortable. We only like to eat with people that eat what I like to eat. We don't like to sit with people that don't vote like us. We, 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 we just like everything to be the way we like it. Now, I want you to think for a second. What if Jesus was like that? Mm. What if Jesus was like, you know what? I only want to hang with people that make me better. I only want to hang with the sinless. I, it, you know what? I ain't going to give them no food today. You know, uh, no. That means I got to travel across the Sea of Galilee. I don't want to do that. Peter, now, I ain't calming no storm. We all gonna, y'all going to die. I'm going to be all right. <laughs> what if Jesus was like that? We, we would, quite frankly, we'd all be dead. The wages of sin is death. So, so none of us would be here. But thank God that Jesus is not like that. Jesus saw us in our sin, loved us, and died for us. Praise God. It wasn't convenient. 
It definitely wasn't comfortable, but he still did it. So I need you to ask yourself, what does my inner circle look like? Be honest. What does it look like? Who do I hang with? In Jesus' inner circle, y'all know what his circle looked like? He had tax collectors. They were some of the most hated people back then. They still some of the most hated people today. Some of y'all are like, I'm tired on it. It's coming up. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Jesus had, they were his disciples. He had fishermen who were considered the bottom of the barrel in society, disciples. Jesus had prostitutes hanging out and following him. What does your inner circle look like? Who do you do life with? Renewal, hear me. It is impossible to love God and not love your neighbor. If you don't love your neighbor to the point that you can share your life with someone that's different than you, then frankly, from the passage, it tells us, then you really don't love God. And I know that's tough. Friends, as we enter this series, I want you to pray about, and I want you to ask God, what barriers to loving other people are in my life? What, what, what do I have that, what walls do I have that don't allow me to, to love someone different than me? Who are those people that are around me all the time, whether at work or school, in my neighborhood, but I've yet to engage them? Who are those people? Because, listen, it's easy to claim Christianity and still do your own thing. It's much harder to be a true Christian who lives for the betterment of other people. If we want to see our church grow and be the authentic, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multicultural church we want to see, then it's going to take a movement of individuals who are committed and serious about Jesus' command to love him and to love our neighbor. When we do so, we love people that we wouldn't normally love. We wouldn't normally do life with because that's what he did for us. If we want to see racism in, it's going to take us intentionally loving one another. If we want to see the socioeconomic divide in, it's going to take us intentionally loving one another, picking each other up. If we want to see our world simply be a better place, then it's going to take all of us loving one another. We can't get there if we don't intentionally love one another. Friends, let us pray together that God would open our eyes to the needs of those around us as we walk through this series over the next several weeks. I'm looking forward to it, being challenged, being encouraged, and I hope you are too. And to answer the question from the beginning, is a multi-ethnic, multicultural church biblical? Friends, it's not only biblical, but it's God's design. It's God's design and the creativity of God to take and create two different people 
all the way down to their DNA strands. None of us are exactly the same. But yet say, I want you to love me. All your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor. Everyone is different than you. That's God's design. And I love it in Revelations. He says this, Revelation 7, 9. This is, this is John seeing this. He says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So listen. Not only did he design all of us different and command us to love one another, but when it's all said and done, at the end of it all, we'll stand before Jesus together in heaven. And, and none of us will be worried about the color of the skin of the person next to us because we'll be standing there marveling at the King of Kings, Jesus himself, saying, Glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. Can't wait to get to that day. But I do believe, family, if we hold tight to his commandment here, to love him with all that we have and to love others, we'll get to see a little piece of heaven here on earth. Not just on Sunday morning, but outside of this. Will you commit with me to hold fast to the commandment? To love God with everything you have, heart, mind, soul, and your strength. And to love your neighbor intentionally, even though different. Will you do that with me? And when we do that, I believe that we'll be the church that he's designed for us to be here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, you are so good. You are an awesome God. We do give you praise. We give you all the glory, even with messages and things that are hard like this. But we do thank you that, Jesus, you modeled it first for us. You died the death that we deserved. You lived the life that we should have. And all that you say is believe in me, and then you give us the gift of eternity with you. God, I just pray that as we're here on this earth, through the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that we would live and be the people that you've called us to be, and that we would see something that we've never seen here, not only on Sunday mornings, but I, I pray that Chicago would be transformed, one of the most divided cities, yet diverse can we see those walls broken down, Lord Jesus, by us trusting you, being intentional with our love? God, I pray for the person in here that came in here and said, well, I didn't even know that Jesus went out of his way and he's loved me despite what's going on in my heart and where I met. Lord, I pray that they would know, as your word says, that all we have to do is trust and believe and confess with our mouth that you are Lord that you died on the cross, that you were buried, and you rose from the grave with power in your hands, and your word says that we are saved based on that confession. God, I pray that you would take them to places they can never imagine. Encourage them in ways that they need to be encouraged. Challenge them, Lord. On the other side, I pray for the person here, God, 
even myself sometimes when we get off and we're just, I just want to be comfortable. This is convenient to me. This is where I am. God, I, I, Lord, we repent. We're sorry, Lord Jesus. You went out of your way for us, but yet we get stuck in consumer mentality and it's all about me and me doing this and this and that. And the reality is you called us and you kept us here on this earth so we could tell people about you. So God, can we just just give us the strength, Lord, to know how the wisdom to show off your glory. God, I do pray through all of this that you would do something amazing with Renewal Church. Have your way with us, Lord Jesus. Allow us to be the people that you called us to be. And let us not only see the city change, but I pray that you'll spark something here that sees this nation change. That's what you've called us to do. Be your witnesses to the end of the earth. Let us be that. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your mighty name we pray all these things. And everyone said together, amen and amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.